0: And now, here's your resource queen, Alex Litwack. Welcome. With me today is Jessie Hillock. She is a speech-language pathologist by trade and the founder and owner of a company called Memory Compass. Welcome, Jessie. Hi, Alex. Thank you for having me. I'm excited that you're here because you are doing something that is so needed. And as our population ages and as we find all these neurological issues that are going on with our almost elders and elders, we need what you're doing. So let's start with what is Memory Compass?
1: So the Memory Compass is a service that supports families and care partners of individuals who are living with dementia or Alzheimer's. That's big. Yeah. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) That's not little, that's big. Right, right. How did you decide this was something that you wanted to do? Because as a speech-language pathologist, mm-hmm. you must have been working with all age levels yeah. and all issues. Yeah, so actually, um, I went
1: more of the medical track with speech-language pathology. And I worked in skilled nursing, assisted living, memory care, and long-term care. And I did that for six and a half years A lot of people don't know that if your loved one admits to rehab after a hospitalization, maybe they fell and they broke their hip or they broke their shoulder and they need some rehab. If they're demonstrating any form of confusion, difficulty with following directions, problem solving, um, difficulty with managing medications or finances, they get referred to a speech language pathologist. Why is that? So we basically work on everything from the neck up. So not just voicing, not just word finding, but everything that is that more executive function, higher level problem solving. Because language is not just the words that we're trying to say or the language that we're trying to understand and comprehend. It's also your working memory, your executive function skills, being able to organize information, being able to process through information. So when someone has difficulty with their memory has difficulty with you know the diagnosis of dementia or alzheimers it's not just their memory that becomes impaired but it's their ability to follow directions to sequence through day-to-day tasks you know they might start trying to manage their medications in a pillbox but they get confused that's that higher level problem solving that also becomes impaired that we work on as speech language pathologists
0: where is executive functioning in your brain? So it's in the
1: frontal lobe. Um, our brain is amazing in all the ways that it, it works and, and how our brain breaks down information. But people who are demonstrating difficulty with you know, dementia or Alzheimer's, that frontal lobe um, definitely becomes impaired with that higher level executive function skills. And
0: where is speech?
1: Oh gosh, so <laughs> speech is There is left brain, right brain communication So there's speech that is our actual word finding and and ability to process the words But then there's also our ability to process language in terms of your facial expressions, your gestures Um, So it's left and right brain communication together
0: And there doesn't necessarily have to be specific damage to where the speech function is in your brain? That's a good question. So,
1: so there are different forms of dementia and the different forms of dementia have different breakdowns of how the brain is processing information and functioning. Generally speaking, someone who has difficulty with Alzheimer's or dementia is going to have difficulty with their word finding, with problem solving, um, and your brain is basically shrinking.
0: Your whole brain. Yeah, I'm real aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> My brain is shrinking. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. difficult mm-hmm. in this day and age, whether you have dementia mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's or some other issue, it is very difficult to have an excellent memory. Yes. Because I think the stress that we're under yes. and all the functioning that we are mm-hmm. trying to do and all the technology that we're dealing yes. with... So even if you don't have some sort of big diagnosis, you can still have memory issues and executive functioning issues, right? Yes.
1: I mean, I, I feel like in this day and age, we're just expected to multitask at all times. And so much information is coming in at us at once that our brains are just on overload all the time.
0: Okay, so back to you don't necessarily have to have specific damage, but if you have a diagnosis Mm -hmm. of dementia or Alzheimer's, it is going to impact. Right, and they actually say that you
1: cannot confirm that diagnosis and which specific diagnosis someone has of all the various dementias and Alzheimer's until upon autopsy. Um, So an autopsy would be able to look at the brain to really see what areas are damaged. Of course, there are different scans that can be done and that that let neurologists know what areas are not functioning as properly, but they actually say that it cannot truly be diagnosed
0: until upon autopsy. So doing a MRI would they would be able to look at sort of what parts of the brain yes. are firing up and what parts of the brain are no longer yes. really firing up. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yes. I did not realize it it took you know an autopsy to get give a true diagnosis. Yes. There you were doing speech pathology for all <laughs> kinds of people. What spurred you on to so, to do memory compass?
1: When I was in the rehab to home setting it like I had said if somebody admitted for a broken hip or a broken shoulder, um, they I was often that first person that a family would come in contact with that would say, Your loved one's here for this, but now they're demonstrating difficulty with memory, word finding, problem solving. Maybe they had something underlying that until they were put under, it didn't present itself forward. Uh, or maybe somebody admitted to the facility to live in assisted living, memory care, or long-term care because they needed a higher level of care. And what I was hearing from families was, you know, we saw the neurologist and they gave us the diagnosis and they recommended my loved ones shouldn't live by themselves, but they just said, see you back in a year. And there is so much in the in-between that families have to navigate on their own hours and hours and hours of information out there And to be quite honest, the information out there is not all accurate for someone's individual needs. So I saw that growing frustration from families, and I knew that I wanted to take all of the skills that I had learned through my therapy and being able to help families understand. You know, when your neurologist says early-stage dementia, middle-stage dementia, late-stage dementia, they just say that, but they don't tell you, okay, well, how does that break down in someone's day-to-day function? early stage, middle stage, late stage, because there are things within the stages that we can learn how to do ourselves as care partners and our loved one's environment to meet them where they are to still try to make them as independent as possible within their environment and decrease the overwhelm for everyone.
0: I cannot imagine how overwhelming (laughs) it is, not just to get that diagnosis for someone you love or even for yourself, But to then be told, hey, see you in a year, that just reeks of, I I don't really care about you. Right. I want to ask you, how do you define dementia? (laughs) Because I would say for all of us who walk out of a room into a new room Mm -hmm. to do a specific task and have to go back to the first room Mm -hmm. to ask ourselves why did we even go into the second room it's so frustrating yes
1: so they actually call that the threshold theory where you go through a threshold go through a door and you can't remember why you went through the door so you need to go back through to try to retrace your steps that's actually a part of normal aging but what's not part of normal aging is forgetting you know how to get to the bank how to get to the grocery store, forgetting the names of your grandchildren, forgetting the names of your children. Normal aging is, you know, maybe there's a coworker that you used to work with and you can't remember their name. That's normal aging, but when it's immediate family, you should be able to remember the names of those loved ones. And. Dementia is more so when it starts to affect your day-to-day function, that you can no longer function safely on your own without some sort of support in place.
0: Should we each run through the names of our family every day, just like you do with you know math you know math yeah. cards, addition and subtraction flashcards, that you yeah. literally look at the pictures of everyone in your family and make sure you can name each one of them? So. For brain health,
1: I really recommend your diet, your exercise, your sleep. All of that truly can impact how your brain is functioning. Dehydration is a huge factor. People have brain fog. Um, They might receive this diagnosis of dementia and it it turns out that they were dehydrated and it wasn't actually dementia. Cognitive stimulation activities are so important. I mean, that's taking a walk, that's getting environmental stimuli. You know, sitting in a chair all day watching TV is not giving you that stimulation that you
0: need. There is great merit to eating well, sleeping well, and exercising. If you keep moving, if you keep drinking your water every day, if you can develop or sustain your good habits, What a difference it would make. Well, the whole saying, if you
1: don't use it, you lose it, is incredibly true. There is so much truth behind that when it comes to our brain function and our overall function, truly, walking, exercising. If
0: you don't use it, you lose it. I understand how a diagnosis of dementia comes about. What difference has to happen for a diagnosis to be called Alzheimer's? So Alzheimer's
1: ends up impacting. Memory is memory is very different when it comes to Alzheimer's. Somebody with dementia, they might, over time, remember certain loved ones. They might remember how to do certain things from the past. When it comes to Alzheimer's,
0: there's really,
1: they're not remembering basically anything.
0: It goes beyond not being able to remember the names of those that you love it's as if you don't know not just where your keys are you don't remember that you ate right right you You, don't
1: remember how to put a shirt on correctly mm. you don't remember how to put your shoes on correctly there's difficulty with toileting there's difficulty with bathing
0: how many people in this country we'll just start with United yeah. States. How many people are diagnosed currently with Alzheimer's? So there are six million Americans
1: living with Alzheimer's um, in the U.S. right now. That's
0: still pretty high. Yes. And are most of them over the age of 70 or are most of them over the age of 80 or it's all over the map?
1: It's all over the map and what I'm finding for me is that these families who are contacting me are actually younger. So I'm 34, and I have daughters of patients who are contacting me in their in their late 20s, because their mom or dad has new onset, a new diagnosis of early onset dementia, or you know, there's frontotemporal dementia, um, there's Lewy body dementia, and I'm seeing younger and younger. So people who aren't necessarily in their 80s, like when I started working in this field in 2013, I was seeing a lot of people who were in their 80s. Now I'm starting to
0: see people who are much younger. What's considered early onset? So it'd be before the age of 65. Okay. That's got to be one of the most difficult diagnoses to get.
1: Not only that, but what I have found is that many of the individuals that I've worked with Probably had the diagnose. Probably had dementia for four years prior to being diagnosed, but they were getting laid off from work. They were going and getting an assessment for depression or bipolar. They are being put on medications that they should not have been put on because it actually has a worst effect. Um, And it's something that physicians, you know, you go to your primary care physician for all of those types of things, and and physicians are given very little education about, oh, well, if it's not a mental health disorder, let's look at dementia. That's not something that you jump to in terms of a diagnosis. So people are traveling the road of the wrong diagnosis for four years
0: or longer. And that's so frustrating, not just for the Family but for the individual themselves Because I'm sure they're thinking God I I can't remember that right? Or why am I not remembering that
1: And I've had several patients say But I'm not I'm not depressed I just don't have the Initiation or the drive to do Certain things that I did before Because there's something going on up here That's not allowing me to Sequence through these steps But I'm not depressed
0: I wish that there was a standard that was in place so that at 60, you go and have cognitive testing. So they've started doing that
1: at 65. They've started doing a cognitive questionnaire at 65. And I think that that's great. But at the same time, some people, they're just left, families are just left to figure out the scores on their own. And people might be in mild cognitive impairment, but families aren't given any resources for that either. So you can receive a diagnosis of mild cognitive impairment and then later on in life it can progress to actual dementia or Alzheimer's. And mild cognitive impairment is when you really want to get somebody involved to help that higher level of problem solving and to keep people as independent as possible.
0: Is that the kind of therapy you would be doing once a week and you would have things to do at home?
1: Yes, yes. So I help people with those executive function, higher level problem solving skills. So multitasking, staying on task, attention, sequencing, problem solving, all of those things, what I would help with with that mild cognitive impairment.
0: Aren't there some really cool apps and programs that people can do on their own. Yes, because that's the thing. When it comes to therapy like this,
1: when you have a one-on-one session, it's really beneficial that I'm teaching you the tools, but it's not going to be successful if it's not carried over outside of therapy, much like anything else. You know, physical therapy, it's the same. You might be given exercises, but if you're not carrying them out on your own, it's not going to be as beneficial. Gotta do your homework. Right.
0: Absolutely. This this is not something you can maneuver around and cheat. Right. You have to go through it. Right. To have any hope of holding on to whatever cognitive and executive functioning skills that you have and not spiraling downward. Right. All right. A family comes to you, their loved one just got diagnosed. Mm -hmm. What do you do?
1: So typically, they'll have a report from the neurologist, and I like to go over that report with them in layman's terms and break it down. What does this mean? And based off of whether the neurologist said early stage, middle stage, or late stage, okay, here are all the tools in my toolbox that can help somebody within that early stage, but also... I'm going to give you the tools and signs to look for for when they enter the middle stage. So we're going to try to prevent a crisis situation. So I'm giving you that information of when is it time to talk to your loved one about no longer driving? When should you have care in the home? Or maybe there's other resources in the community like adult day centers. Should you start looking into assisted living, you know, memory care facilities? I'm helping be that navigator And then also, what are the correct communication approaches that you should be using with your loved one? I want to figure out your loved one's past history. What do they love doing? I'm looking at that more holistic view. What was their sleep pattern like? Were they someone that, you know, worked the night shift? So now you're having that trouble because they're wanting to be up all night long and you're not able to rest yourself. Or what are hobbies that they used to have? Can we try to, you know, adapt those activities so they can still enjoy them in a different way so I'm really trying to meet the individual where they are and also support the family so again we can just decrease the overwhelm that so many people are facing because a lot of these care partners who reach out to me it's what's considered the sandwich generation so they might have their own children you know maybe it's children in middle school maybe it's children in college they're working full-time and then now oh my goodness They're trying to navigate the care of their aging parent or loved one, and they just don't know what to do, and there's so much information out there, so how can I take that time away from research and give them individualized recommendations and hold their hand through the process?
0: And do you meet with them every month do you meet every few months that's a good question so it really
1: is based off of what i feel that family needs and we talk about that so i have some that we meet every other week i have some that we meet once a month i have some that we meet quarterly it's really just based off of how much support they feel like they need and also if somebody hasn't reached out in a while (laughs) i always reach back out to them and typically it's oh my goodness you reached out at just the right time. This is what's going on, and I just don't know how to navigate this.
0: I'm with you about being proactive as opposed to reactive because you have so much catching up to do when you're already in a crisis situation. Right. Yes. And something that
1: I have found, you know, we're humans, so we want to help our parents but sometimes we become that crutch and we're doing more than what we should be doing because we just think that it's normal aging. So for example, one big red flag to me that families will say as well, I have started preparing meals for my mom and dad and I, I stick it in the refrigerator, but I just noticed they're eating potato chips and candy bars. Well, that's because they're no longer initiating through all of the sequences that it takes to heat up the meal, eat the meal, you know, clean the dish afterwards. That's a big red flag. So sometimes we're doing things for our family that we think are keeping them independent and taking a, a weight off of them. But is it really that there's something more going on that they are having more difficulty with their memory? And could you use somebody to coach you through how to navigate, you know, Setting your loved one up for success
0: and setting you up for success, so you're not burnt out. I think if you're in the sandwich generation and you are going back and forth between taking care of parents and taking care of kids, it's, it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. Even more so, though, I think if you are the spouse or partner of an elder, yes. it's incredibly hard because you yourself are
1: aging. Right. Right. Yes, and that is one area that is incredibly difficult to work with the spouse through they oftentimes they hear, Well, I made this commitment to my loved one that I would care for them, you know, until death do us part, but they feel like there's this weakness if they have anybody else come in. But there's a statistic of in the mid 60s about sixty three to sixty-four percent of spouses between the age of 60 and 90, who are caring for their loved one with an Alzheimer's or a dementia diagnosis end up passing away before their loved one with that dementia or
0: Alzheimer's diagnosis. That is chilling to me Mm -hmm. because it's tragic. Yes. And is that because they are just, not just aging, but they're so stressed out? Yes, the amount of stress
1: that this disease puts on someone, I mean, it is, there can be, changes that Behaviors really start happening with their loved one Um, There can be Nasty violent behaviors that can happen um, That spouses don't want to talk about so they kind of leave it behind closed doors Um, Or is it the physical of helping somebody on and off the toilet or in and out of the shower Is it never being able to leave your home because you can't leave your loved one alone. You know, they need 24-hour supervision. So they're just there always, and they never get out of that.
0: My understanding of people who don't have great memory, and maybe they've got a certain level of anxiety, Mm -hmm. if you're their spouse caretaker, they they don't want you to leave. Right. Right. Uh, it yeah. isn't just a safety issue That you don't want to leave It's that they don't want you to leave Because you are their Security blanket Yes, yes. exactly
1: mm-hmm. Absolutely
0: wow. Absolutely. This is so tough I, I, I hear this I have several friends whose parents Were diagnosed with Alzheimer's It was a long, hard, very sad road Yes, and you're just Supposed to
1: navigate it all on your
0: own So we've established that doctors are starting to give people a test at 65. Mm -hmm. If you, though, suspect that someone you love may be having some memory issues or speech issues or executive functioning issues, should you go to a geriatrician? Yes, absolutely. And in the
1: state of Indiana, we actually have some really good hospital systems that have specific programs for the senior community. That have, you know, social workers on the team that can talk to you as the care partner as well as your loved one They see the geriatrician, um, you know, I, it's just sometimes getting your loved one to go Oh yeah,
0: because <laughs> people are tough Yes They do not want to seek out help necessarily, mm-hmm. or maybe they're embarrassed mm-hmm. Yes And they, it's the ignorance is bliss maybe Right Right.
1: You know, one thing that I really uh, try to encourage is that you, as you age, you really do need a specialist with aging. And so whether you have a dementia diagnosis or not, I recommend a geriatrician anyways, because there's different healthcare issues that are going to come up that having a geriatrician on your team is very beneficial.
0: I have loved learning all about this because i think you are absolutely right people need help it's okay to ask for it and it's okay to ask for it early on try not to wait till things are in such crisis that everybody is is weeping right basically right if someone is interested jesse in finding out more about you and memory compass how would they reach you So they can go to my website,
1: and there's a contact form. So it's www.thememorycompass.com.
0: Thememorycompass.com. Yes. Fantastic. Thank you so much for being a part of the show. Thank you, Alex. How many medications and supplements have you tried to deal with your anxiety, insomnia, inflammation, or pain? Have you considered hemp-sourced CBD? It is such a powerful and profound way to work on a wide variety of both emotional and physical issues. CBD works on a system in your body that strives to get you in balance. No matter the health challenge, CBD may be your best option. Learn all about it at CBDJubilee.com. Today's show has been sponsored by CBD Jubilee, bringing you health and happiness every day. Thanks for tuning in.